Eric Estep here. One of my favorite parts of being a NASCAR fan is collecting diecasts. It's how I got my start on YouTube, actually. To me, a room is not complete until it features shelves of NASCAR diecast cars. It's as good a time as ever to continue your collection or begin an all-new one by pre-ordering your favorite driver's 2022 next-gen diecast at LionelRacing.com or at any authorized Lionel retailer. Lionel is the official diecast of NASCAR, and don't miss Lionel Racing's NASCAR Authentics diecasts at a Walmart or Target near you. Not only is Lionel the official diecast of NASCAR, but they're also official supporters of the Out of the Groove Podcast Network. So what are you waiting for? Head to LionelRacing.com to order your favorite driver's 2022 diecast. Hi, Ben. It's Jerry. Hey, Jerry. It's Ben. Ben, how long have you been following NASCAR? A lifetime. Me too. And how fitting that we're the hosts of a Lifetime in NASCAR podcast. A Lifetime in NASCAR highlights NASCAR's illustrious history with analysis and anecdotes from a couple of NASCAR's historians, namely my buddy Ben White and myself, Jerry Bunkowski. We're going to discuss with you some contemporary NASCAR topics and everything we've heard throughout the years. You'll learn about where the sport has been where it will go, and the inside scoop on some of the craziest stories you will ever hear. Ben, you know, I'm really looking forward to this week's show because, first of all, we're getting done early, which I always like to do, and uh, we're recording it a little bit earlier because this is Thanksgiving weekend, or it's Thanksgiving week, rather. And, you know... Yeah, everybody is going to probably be doing something different, something unique, uh, you know, tradition and that kind of thing. And that's what I like about NASCAR and, and Thanksgiving because they both have tradition. That's mm-hmm. the thing that has always appealed to me about NASCAR is, you know, there is, you know, they may not have, they may have Martinsville hot dogs instead of turkeys but sometimes. But, but the point that I'm making, though, is seriously, is that the tradition of Thanksgiving is you can kind of draw a lot of comparisons with the th- tradition of Thanksgiving too, because, you know, it's brings people together. It's something you can enjoy. Yeah. You know, the, on TV, people may watch some of the football games on TV or what have you, but it really is a good time for fellowship getting together, you know, maybe burying the hatchet. If you've got a little beef with somebody, maybe a family member or what have you, you know, cause life is so, so short. And especially as you get older, you realize what your parents used to say that, Oh, you just wait. You're going to learn how quick, how short life is, and they are very true about their. You know, it's very true about that uh, thing. So, you know, I, first of all, I'm going to wish you and your family happy Thanksgiving. And uh, what have you what have you got in mind? And tell me wh- what Thanksgiving means to you. Uh, at, you know, both with NASCAR and also away from NASCAR as well. Too. Oh, I I tell you, Jerry. Well, well first I want to say uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family as well. And it's been great to have some shows. Uh, with you doing a lifetime of NASCAR the, the last what six or eight weeks, and it's been a pleasure working with you on those. And I tell you what, it's it's just so rewarding uh, to well, we've got the season over with for 2021, and we get a chance to sort of kick our feet back a little bit for Thanksgiving and see family. For us personally, uh, we're going to go down and, and visit with my my aunt down in uh, Carrollton, Georgia. Uh, and we, she's 90 going on 60, which I'm happy to say, <laughs> and she's, she's one of those very fun type of aunts and she is my father's youngest, uh, sister and love her dearly. And, uh, she's the last surviving of the five children and, uh, the others have passed, but just love her very, very much. And so we're going to go down and visit with her and then we're going to come back on Saturday and, uh, spend uh, Thanksgiving with my son and his wife, uh, my son, Aaron, and his wife, Leslie, and their, and my very first grandson, uh, uh, who's named Rex White, and he is named after 1960 uh, Winston Cup or Grand National Champion Rex White, and Rex knows that. So he, <laughs> Rex is actually going to be coming to uh, Little Rex's first uh, birthday party coming up on December 4th. He was actually born on the 15th of December, but they're going to have a, a birthday party on the 4th of December because uh, of just some scheduling problems. But anyway, uh, yeah, so Big Rex is coming to Little Rex's uh, birthday party that day. So that's going to be fun. But yeah, talking about Thanksgiving, we're just so thankful for our tremendous family and friends and 
it does mean so much to us to be able to spend some time uh, just looking back on some a, a great, I think, a great 2021. You know, we've had some some tough times with COVID and and such as that, but we've we've persevered and we've come over that, and and I think things are getting better. And uh, we've had a tremendous NASCAR season with Kyle Larson winning the championship with 10 wins. Maybe could have been 13 or 14 the way he ran. But you know what? You have a choice in life. And this is the way I've always looked at it. You have a choice to look at negatives or positives. And and every negative has a silver lining. I think you can find the good in everything that happens. And I've tried very hard to be a positive person and a positive role model to younger people. And we all have good days and bad days. And my sister, my oldest sister, Phyllis, has told me this. And I'll never, ever forget this. When I was a teenager, she told me this. She said, you got to have bad days to appreciate the good ones. Mm-hmm. And it was such a simple thought, but it's something I have carried in my heart and soul for many, many years. And she's so right about that. And we all have bad ones, but we got to have bad ones to have good ones. And that's what that's part of what Thanksgiving is about. It's being thankful for all the blessings we've all have and and living in this country. What a great country we have. And, and there's I have to say, sadly, there's other countries that have struggles. And, and even though we have struggles in this country, it's still the greatest country in the world. That's why I see it. I should stand up and start playing league Greenwoods. You know, God bless the USA. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, you, you were so spot on and so much you said, and you know, there is just so much to give thanks for. I mean, I know our family, we're going to get together Thursday at my daughter Heather's uh, house. Or this, she's my our oldest uh, child, and she presented us with our first grandchild uh, last August. Congratulations! And, thank you. Yeah. And uh, now, now tell me the odds of this one. You're going to love this one. Okay. My daughter Heather was born on my wife Cindy's birthday. Wow, that's cool. This is even cooler. My grandson Eddie was born on his father's Steve's birthday, August 9th. Wow. Yeah. So how, I mean, the odds of that are just phenomenal, I'm sure. Yeah, but, they but, are. but what's going to make this, this Thanksgiving really special is um, my daughter, Sarah, who lives down in Charlotte, who we, I'm sure you know, um, she went with, with her all her time with Team Penske and everything like that. She is coming back up north with her fiance, Kelvin Shaw, We've met Kelvin a number of times already. Love the kid. He's going to be a great addition to the family. And mm-hmm. but she she has never met Eddie. So she's going to meet her. Um, I guess what what let's was that see? It would be what's that? It's a grandson, so there'd be what is I guess there'll be what an uncle? No, I mean an aunt. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah. So yeah. that she'll so she'll meet him for the first time, and she's looking forward to that. And Kelvin's looking forward to meeting Eddie as, as well. Um, you know, she's also going to see, uh, our 90 year old, um, aunt, uh, my wife's aunt, uh, mm-hmm. Maria, uh, they're going to see her earlier in the day on, on Thanksgiving day. And then they're going to come down for the dinner and, uh, just going to be one of those really mellow chill days. You know I mean? Um, you know, we all have had some issues. I know I've had a lot of issues medically lately, um, uh, continue to have them. Uh, but I still thank like you say, still think for very thankful for a lot of things that, you know, have gone right. And yeah, you do have to put up with a lot of the negative, but you know, there is a lot of silver linings out there that, uh, that do take place. So, you know, yeah. and, 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 you know, going back to what I was saying about being thankful for NASCAR, you know, this is a sport that has, has, it, you know, a lot of people, um, have left the sport, you know, and it's not a secret. I mean, since about 2005, 2006, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, there was a large exodus from the sport. And, you know, uh, there was no really one reason why they left the sport. I mean, you know, maybe it was just too many fans. Maybe people just didn't want to, you know, they, well, of course there was an economic situation going on at the time that people were losing their jobs. They couldn't afford to go to the races, couldn't you know, afford to pay the souvenirs, what have you. But, I think one thing that I learned about NASCAR as a whole, and you know, I, I know you've heard this numerous times as well, was the NASCAR family. And mm-hmm. you know, we, 
you, you can become kind of cynical and some kind of jaded at times, you know, particularly if you're in the media, um, because there are some people in the media that can kind of give you an impression that makes you jaded. But when you talk about some of the drivers out there, uh, how welcoming they are to you, uh, some of the team owners, uh, their spouses, some of the PR people, it makes it all worth it for us to stay there. Because, you know, a lot of times I'm sure your, your wife has said it to you over the years, you know, Ben, why don't you go get a different job? I've heard that so many times. I could probably, if I had a, if I had a doubt for every time I heard, you know, well, why don't you get into, you know, some other field or, you know, write something right. other than sports, but it's the people in the sport. It's the excitement of the sport. It's the yeah. action of the sport. I mean, I'll tell you, you know, I just turned 64 a few weeks ago and, you know, probably one of the greatest days of my life, bar none. And I was trying to be a, a, a reporter and I did a pretty damn good job. If I say so myself, but I was so consumed with the electricity, the excitement on Memorial day this year, when mm-hmm. Elio Castroneves won his fourth uh, Daytona, I mean, I'm sorry, Indianapolis 500. I mean, that in and of itself was something for me to be thankful as a reporter because, you know, a lot of people saw it on TV. You know, there was about 135,000 people announced that saw some of it in person, you know, very minimal amount because they weren't as close. But I mean, I was literally 15 to 10 feet away from Elio in a large part of his celebration. And having been in this in the sports world since I was 15 years old. So almost, you know, next year I'll be 50 years, 50 years. I've been in this, you know, covering sports. It just, it struck me that, damn, I'm a lucky guy. I'm so mm-hmm. thankful for that because I got a chance to see this play out right in front of me. It wasn't, I was, I didn't care a lick about the TVs, the TV cameras that are around. All I cared about was a guy that I had gotten to know somewhat because of not only interviewing him and doing stories on him, but also his very close relationship with my daughter. I mean, to see him celebrate, to see the fans celebrate, to see his peers celebrate, to see even his rivals celebrate, that just told me that, you know, motorsports as a whole, IndyCar, NASCAR, NHRA, sprint car racing, you name the motorsports series, there really is a family feeling that you just cannot find in baseball, football, basketball, hockey. Sorry, folks, but that's just the way I, I see it. Now, there, yeah. I will say this. Hockey has a real good family feeling, but that's a whole other story. But anyway, right. so I, I just I just think that, you know, we have a lot to be thankful for. Like you said, the Kyle Larson season we saw, it was just an incredible year. It really kind of reminded me a lot of, you know, the first year that Jimmy Johnson won his champ- first championship in 2006. For whatever reason, just it gave me this feeling that we're watching history in the making. What's going to be the next thing? And what does he do? He winds up going to win five championships in a row. That's history in the making. What's Kyle Larson going to do next? Can he win two in a row? Can he win three in a row? I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about Kyle Larson. He says, at the age of 29 years old, this kid could win 10 10 championships in a row. And he wasn't joking. I go, you know, you're right. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for, to, you know, to have this podcast, Lifetime in NASCAR. I'm thankful to be, to be buddies with you. I mean, you know, we, we yeah, kind of, here. you know, when, when we, we started doing this uh, almost what, about two and a half months now. I think this is actually our ninth episode. Yeah, that is our ninth episode. Um, you know, you and I both said to each other, you know, we had seen each other in in the media centers across the country for years, but we never really got to know each other. And I'll tell you, in these nine weeks or so, I've gotten to know you so well that, I mean, heck, where were we? We should have been buddies all these years, you know? I, mean, I know. We, we, we've been in the hot dog lines and the, <laughs> in the food lines for years, and we just never really sat down and connected. And I'm sorry we haven't done that. This well, has been great to be able to do it. But, yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, sometimes I think 
those of us that are fortunate to be in the media and fortunate enough to be as close as we are to these guys, we sort of take it for granted a little bit that where we stand in the garage areas and where we stand in the media centers. And you sort of have to say to yourself, I mean, you have to sort of pinch yourself in a way and say, I just experienced that. Yes. Something comes to mind that I did several years ago, and that was having the honor of just, and this is something I wanted to do for years, and I finally did it. I was, this is one of the, I want to say it was back about 2015, maybe. And I stood on the bricks at the Brickyard 400 mm-hmm. and just before the start of the race of the, uh, one year, I think it was 2014 or 15. And I just stood there and, and I just looked at the crowd and it's like, wow, I'm standing on the bricks of the, of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And it was just kind of breathtaking to me. It was really so cool to be able to just look down towards turn four and look down towards turn one and think I'm standing here in this place. And then you get to the point where you're, like I said before, you're so it's a privilege to do what we do. It's a blessing to do what we do. And being in that spot that day, just, I don't know. I had cold chills, but you know what? I've been doing this 38 years and I still get to talk about cold chills. I still get cold chills when they say, gentlemen, start your engines. Yep. And I'm standing on pit road or I'm in the media center and I hear them fire up and I still, it's, I still get it. And I don't know. It's, I agree with you. I love other sports, but I have to admit, I don't follow other sports as much as I do NASCAR because I'm so busy on the NASCAR side and the motorsport side. Right. But you know, one of the things talk about things you're thankful for or a lot what I'm thankful for is being able to go to my computer and go to YouTube and fire up some race, mm-hmm. the 1986 Daytona 500, and I can watch it flag to flag, you know, and relive it. Or right. I can go back even earlier and maybe catch the 1974 or 73 Southern 500. Or, oh my Lord, I just love going back and watching those races because, see, as a kid, I went to the 73 Southern 500. Mm-hmm. I went to a lot of those Darlington Rebel 400s and 500s as a kid, 11, 12, 13 years old. And, you know, I, when I go down the back stretch, I mean, my, my weird way of thinking, I think I see them going, that's where I sat right there. There I am. There I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now they're doing what, 160 or 70 down the back stretch. They, oh, that right there. That's where I was, you know. And uh, so, anyway, I just love going back to those old videos. And I it would I would even get cold chills watching the starting lineups when Ken Squire would say, let's do the starting lineup for the Daytona 500 and listening to him uh, give those starting lineups. And I just love that was such a magical time back then in those early 90s when they did those. And but the beauty of it is anytime I want to, I can go back and key in those races and watch those races flag to flag. And that's something I'm thankful for. And the history of this sport means so very much to me, like it does you and the people. And and see, in my case, uh, I watched the races, but I have tremendous memories of the same way that you're talking about Helio. I mean, when I remember when those guys walked into the media centers after some of those big wins, I remember when Earnhardt, won those races uh, at Darlington, and they used to bring them up to the press box. I'm sure you remember that. Right. They don't do right. it anymore. Right. But they they would put them in the back of a police car or state trooper car, right. and they right. would bring them up to the press box. And that was so much fun. I remember, just off the beaten path here, but I remember some of us media guys, when they did the, the parade laps at Darlington, we'd stand at the bottom of the, of the uh, press box there, and we'd wave at them to see how many <laughs> of the guys we could get to wave back to us. And we'd take bets as I see Fahrenheit do it. And we'd wave and he'd wave. And sometimes he'd shoot the, sometimes just the middle finger at us, you know, just <laughs> joking with us and stuff like that. And, you know, all right, listen, here comes Burton. I'll see if Jeff Burton will do it. And we'd wave to him, you know, stuff like that, just funny stuff. And um, just the fun times we had with them. And those guys would, I mean, they still would joke and pick and stuff with us now, but not like in those days. Those yeah. back in the early 90s and through the 2000s and the 80s, 
I mean, we had, it was like, like you said before, a, a tremendous family among these guys. And I still am proud to say that if I'm busy in the media uh, doing my job on Sundays or Saturday, any day, and I miss lunch in the, in the press, uh, like in the media center, I have a standing invitation in the Wood Brothers truck to come get a tomato sandwich anytime I want it. And that's how do I get on that list? (laughs) Well, you just had to see Eddie or Lynn and they'll, they'll help take care of you. But they're like, anytime you need a sandwich, anytime you miss lunch, come see us and we'll take care of you for lunch, that kind of thing. And it's just so cool that they, you know, we're there to help one another out. And I remember one day I just, they're like, Hey, did you get lunch today? I said, no, I was kind of busy doing an interview. Well, come in here. We'll take care of you. They still do that kind of stuff. And it's, it's so nice to, that we take care of one another in any chance we get. And if they need our help, we'll help them out. If, if we need them to help us out. So it's still that way. Exactly. And you know, that that's, you know, when, when I know you've had that, you mean, know, all of us in the media for the most part, you know, the, the major medias that, uh, you know, have covered the series on a national basis for so many years, you know, how many times do we have fans that come up to us and say, Oh God, I wish I had your job or God, I envy you or, you know, they see the good part of our job, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of, there's a lot of stuff they don't see. And right. this is kind of leading me into what I was going to say next about being thankful for. Um, you know, they'll say, well, you know, you get to talk to you know, Dale Earnhardt or Richard Petty, or, you know, you get to, you know, hang around with these guys, you know, you travel with them or what have you. Well, sure, some of that is true, but there is a huge, and I do mean huge price to pay. And I hope to God I don't choke up when I say this, because I know I'm going to. Um, I love motorsports. I love NASCAR, IndyCar, NHRA primarily. I did not know how much I missed in my kids' lives growing up mm-hmm. until, well, the last few years, but especially with my grandson being born. I used to brag to a lot of people that, oh, yeah, I was on the road for 220 days last year. Now, I was in L.A., I was here, I was there, I was everywhere. I had to do it because the job required it. And I... I um, justified it by saying that, well, I was getting all these frequent flyer points, these hotel points, and, you know, it took, or those points took my wife and myself seven times to Hawaii. And I think we took the kids, I think three or four of those times, uh, uh, you know, along with us. Mm -hmm. And it, it was, it was great to be a family, you know, whether it was Hawaii, what have you, but I can't remember virtually anything of my kids growing up, especially in high school. I mean, I know I went to some of their plays or, you know, their, their athletic events, but I was on the road so damn much that and I never really realized until, like I said, you know, the last few months or so, it just kind of started hammering home how much, you know, I missed. And I'll tell you, and I don't mean this in a, a negative way in any way, shape, or form. But the next time a, a fan comes up to me and you know, we get to talking and they will say, you know, God, I wish I was you or I wish I had your job or I wish I was trailing around. I'll tell them how much they should be thankful for because. They are there to see their kids grow up. They're there to remember these things. They're there to, to see, you know, when their kids took music lessons on the piano and I wasn't there. And, you know, I, I'm, my, I played piano for a long time. And still, that's my, my instrument. And I never saw my daughter play. You know, never, never mm-hmm. saw her learn how to play. Uh, never saw her swim in a swim club. Um, you know, because swimming was during the almost the height of NASCAR season, you know, in the spring. So I am very thankful for the sport. 
I'm very thankful for the companies I've worked for, for giving me an opportunity to cover the sport that I love or the motorsports series I love, including NASCAR, IndyCar, and NHRA. But man, you give up a whole heck of a lot in return. And you, you never really, I mean, you may think about it, and I know I did for sometimes, but it never really hit me until, like I said, the last few few months. And it kind of takes me back to my father because I remember in um, December 7th, 1995, I was up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, which he was living in a little town called Pulaski. I'll never forget. I was up there to cover a Packer game the next day. And he said to me, and you know, we'd spent probably about five or six hours up there, went to lunch. You know, he had me do some stuff. He wanted to get all his paperwork together for, you know, he, he must've known something was coming and I'm mm-hmm. an only child. So um, he said, you know, I remember him saying, can you stay a little longer? And I said, no, dad, I, I really got to get going. I got to get back to the hotel. I got to get ready, you know, start preparing, you know, studying my notes and all that kind of stuff. Sadly, seven days later, I lost him. Mm, sorry to hear that. Thank you. And it's just, it's that kind of thing that that's why when Thanksgiving comes around and Christmas, those memories just combined with the motorsports families, particularly NASCAR, just do so much, you know, to, to cheer me up, you know, and it cheers so many other people up too, you know, I mean, there's, yeah. it's, it's in, you know, like, like you're saying about like your, your, uh, your 90 year old, uh, uh, was it grandmother you said it was? Well, it was my, my aunt. Aunt. Okay. So yeah. and my, my wife, she's got a 91 year old aunt and, you know, I look up to the people like that because they've had, they've been around for so long and they've, you know, they've learned so many of life's lessons. I'm thankful for that. So I know we, yeah. we, I've, I've become uh, so much, so melodramatic here and I apologize if I have, but no, this is the time, of, this is the time of year that just, you know, it brings out the emotion to me because, you know, there's so much more that I would like to be thankful for, but I wasn't around for some of that. And, you know, I know my kids still kind of, I, I don't say they want to, I don't want to say they hold it against me, but they will say periodically, well, dad, you missed this or dad, you missed that. And that hurts, but I'm just thankful I'm still yeah. here. So. Well, but you know what? There's a lot of negatives out there, but there's, there's a lot of positives that, that you brought to them because I mean, of what, I mean, what you've done in your life and, and the, the good guy that you are. And I mean, so yeah, there's way more positives than negatives. So let's just say that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm sorry. I went a little longer than that. No, that's fine. No worries. I feel like, I feel like you're like my shrink here, you know? No, no. All right. right, Let's get, let's get into some more NASCAR related uh, stuff. You know, uh, as you know, as obviously Thursday is Thanksgiving and you know, this is podcast episode number 40. And you know, we, Every episode we do, we look at the car number that correlates with the episode number. So obviously the car number for this week is 40. And Ben, you know, always does a stellar job in doing research about the car number 40. And finally, we've got a car number because last, what, since uh, 34, I think it was, we've been very uh, shy on uh, wins. We haven't had that many wins, but finally got a car number that we we've got uh what do we got here five wins yeah so take it away my friend i mean uh i'm thankful we got some wins here for sure well here's one this is a car number that actually the first time that it hit the racetrack in nascar it actually was victorious we've not had that one in a while there was a guy named tommy thompson who took the number 40 to victory lane on august 12th 1951 at the michigan fairgrounds he started fifth that day uh, led 58 of 250 laps and took it, like I say, to victory lane. That's the first time number 40 went to victory lane. And then, of course, there's some names that you might recognize. Sterling Marlin uh, took the number 40 to victory uh, at Las Vegas, Darlington, Michigan, and Charlotte in 2001 and 2002. Then he suffered, unfortunately, a neck injury and had to passed the car over to a young gentleman by the name of Jamie McMurray. And I remember that day I was there and I think Jerry, you probably were too. And, um, no one really knew who Jamie McMurray was. He was a Bush series driver now Xfinity series, but 
they put JB in the car, Felix Sabatis and Chip Ganassi. And lo and behold, it was the October race of 2002 at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And good old Jimmy McMurray took the car to victory lane. And it was a really surprise Cinderella type story that he fills in for a veteran, uh, Sterling Marlin, and he breaks the car home to victory. And, and then that pretty much made Jamie's career. Jamie went on to win the Daytona 500, the Brickyard 400, several other major uh, races for Chip Ganassi, Felix Sabatis. But yeah, that first night, I just remember it was uh, an afternoon into the night race and literally no one knew who Jamie McMurray was, uh, but he did win there at Charlotte Motor Speedway. So, and also uh, back in 1970, a driver by the name of Pete Hamilton uh, came up and drove a Petty Enterprises uh, Plymouth Four Petties. Uh, he actually scored three victories driving the number 40. One of those was the 1970 Daytona 500. Tell you a little, a little bit more about Pete later in the show and also a couple of wins at Daytona. So all in all, he had four wins. One of those wins was a qualifying event at Daytona back in the days when NASCAR counted those 50 lap races. It was called uh, one of the 125 quali mile qualifying events. Now they're 150 mile events, but back then it was 125s. And they did count that as an official win back in the 70s. So, all in all, we have uh, uh, four, five, six, seven, and nine victories for the number 40 all total. Uh, so, yeah, it's been to Victory Lane a few times. And, uh, but yeah, the number 40 uh, does stand out as being a winning number. And it started with the good old Mr. Tommy Thompson on August 12th, 1951. And he was driving a Chrysler, by the way. Right. You know, a couple of things I wanted to ask you about that. Why does the name Tommy Thompson ring a bell to me? Was he, um, did, he did he do something else in NASCAR history? Not, not totally sure. There were some, a couple of modified drivers by the last name of Thompson over the years. Not the um, name Tommy Thompson, just for some reason, reason yeah. rings a bell. but you know, when you're talking about like uh, McMurray, correct me if I'm wrong. And, and, this this somebody said this when he won that race that when he filled in for um for uh, sterling it, and maybe it might have been sterling said it or maybe it was jamie might have been chip i don't know but somebody i remember somebody said that it proved the old axiom that the cars if they're set up so well anybody can win in them do you remember that um yeah i do remember that and and but but nothing to, not to take anything away from Jamie too. Jamie no, no, no was, I'm not taking anything away from him. I'm just like yeah. I said, I'm just saying that you know, he, like you said, he was he was a relative unknown to you know be pulled out of the Bush series or the Xfinity series. Well, I guess it was still. But wait, what were we back then? I think <laughs> it, I think it was Bush. I think it was still I Bush. Think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I always get confused with that. But I mean, to to pull a relative unknown. Kind of like much with Kevin Harvick being pulled up to replace the late uh, Dale Earnhardt Sr. But I mean, to pull him out of the Bush series and then he wins in Sterling's car, but it was set up so perfectly mm -hmm. that, you know, again, I'm not taking anything away from Jamie. I mean, he did a fantastic job, wins the race, but it did prove that axiom, which we've heard a number of times over the years that, you know, if your car is set up perfectly, that, you know, a guy, who may not have either the, the the greatest amount of experience or, you know, did have talent could go out and win. And that's exactly what Jamie did. Yeah, he did. He, he, Jamie was one of those guys though, that I, I just remember as far as media people, we were looking at the, uh, the, the media information in the books and those types of things. And there wasn't really a lot about him in the books. Yeah. And, and it was like, who is this kid? And he takes the lead, you know, about halfway. And I mean, he's just out there and out there and out there and no one knew anything really about him. He, I'm not sure exactly. And I apologize. It seemed like it was his second or third start mm -hmm. in a cup car. <coughs> and he, he was all like Jack the bear. He was gone and he was <laughs> in this car and it was like, who is this kid? And, but now Felix had already said, we, we've got a guy in our stable. We feel good about, and he's going to do well in the cup series one day. Well, when Sterling was injured, I believe at Talladega, 
it was some type of injury to his neck or yeah, shoulder, right, and right. he just couldn't get it. He needed to get out of the car for yeah. His neck was compressed. I remember that very clearly. Right, was it was like a well, I won't call it a broken neck, but it was something like a vertebrae problem right. or something like that. Right. And they 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 had him in kind of in the wings and the shadows, and it's like, well, let's stick Jamie in the car. And lo and behold, he's like, wow, he's gone. He was he he acted like a veteran. He drove like a veteran. Uh, very comfortable in the race car and knew what to do. Uh, and you know, and this is what happens with it too, by the way, you get guys in the Xfinity series, no disrespect intended, but they're, they're used to running 300 lap type races. And then you get them in these 500 lap races and, and fatigue starts to set yeah. in because they're not used to it. Right. right. Well, Jamie <clears throat> didn't let that bother him at all. He was, you know, the really handled himself very well against the, the likes of the, the top drivers in the cup series that day. And it turned, I believe it was what it ended at night. It was a late afternoon race that ended under the lights. And, uh, and he was the best. I mean, he, he, he handled himself very well. And I think he was, I'll say this a little bit out of turn here, but I think he was a little bit surprised at how well he ran yeah. because he was like, he was a substitute driver that ends up winning at Charlotte. He was like, Holy cow, Holy cow. I can't believe, you know, we, we won this race, but, and, and he went on to, to do bigger and better things. But yeah, I've always loved Jamie. He he's very down to earth guy and easy to talk to in an interview, and never let the stardom get to his head. And had a, a very impressive career. And when it came to the um, the big races, the ones that when the money was on the line and prestige was on the line, the Daytona 500s, the Brickyard 400s, those types, that's where he seemed to excel best. And uh, yeah, I, I, he he did an excellent job that night when they needed him to do an excellent job. He was there. So yeah, hats I, off to Jamie. Somebody said is, and I, it was a, one of our fellow reporters. I can't remember who it was. And I don't remember what race I, I want to say it was Charlotte. I can't remember if it, if it was, but they made an offhanded comment in the media center. They call they called him money McMurray. And I just thought <laughs> that was such a great line, you know, yeah. I mean, and it didn't really get much traction, but it was such a great line because you know, he wins such, you know, it's the, the biggest of the biggest races, you know, the, he won, he wins the Coke 600, he wins the Daytona 500, you know, he, he uh, won the Brickyard 400. I mean, just yeah. that's, he is money McMurray. There's no question about it. Yeah. So. He, he was just there when, when it came to the big races, when it came to the, the premier, everything on the line, uh, big numbers, big num money. You're right. He was the, the, the guy to go to. And he was Mr. Clutch. Exactly. He was out front. He was, he was the guy. Yeah, That's he right. was a great racer. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, wanted to go into our, the next segment about our guy, uh, our driver of the week, Pete Hamilton, but want to throw a, a little bit of a curveball, if you will. And yeah. <laughs> this is a huge curveball, but you're going to like it, Ben. You're going to like it. All right. Okay. We have to wish somebody congratulations. Do you know who I'm talking about? Mm, no. He finally, after 49 years, gets snared, gets a ring on his finger, walks down the aisle. Congratulations to Tony Stewart and Leah, uh, Mrs. Leah Stewart. Now uh, they got married over the weekend. And, you know, I saw a couple of photos. And, I mean, Tony just looked incredibly happy like i've never seen well, good well, yeah congratulations I mean, to tony yeah i mean you know just and her and, and, and you know the thing is tony had been you know engaged a, a few times and without i'm not disrespecting any of his previous fiancés or whatever but leah gets him and he and, and he gets her because they're both race car drivers and mm -hmm. you know it, it's i'm i'm thrilled that not only are they now married, but also they're branching out. You know, Tony's going to be running, he's going to operate an NHRA team. And I'll tell you, Ben, I've been saying this for the last 10 years. It's going to happen. I'm going to, I'd put a, I'd put a Martinsville hot dog on the, on the line for this one with you and a bet on this. All one. right. Okay. Within the next five years, Tony Stewart buys a substantial share of AJ Foyt racing. He finally becomes an IndyCar team owner too. Um, I'm, I can't take that bet because I'm going to lose a hot dog. I'm really, <laughs> I'll buy you a hot dog. Okay. Next okay. time we're at Martinsville together, I'll buy you two hot dogs. Okay. I think that, I think that's a legit okay. statement. Yeah. I really do because the man 
there are no restrictor plates when it comes to the wallet, when it comes to him buying stuff. I mean, he loves auto racing. There's no question about it. And, you know, he knows his IndyCar stuff. He knows his NASCAR stuff. Now he knows NHRA stuff. And no, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him get into that end of it as well as a team owner, for sure. I, I, Hey, look, if you know, if, if you got the money to do it and you got the passion to do it by all means, I, I wish him the very best in his marriage. And I wish him the very best in his racing enterprises, whatever they are. And, you know, if it's about competition, if somebody said, we're going to, we need you to buy a bicycle that they'd make it go fast. He'd say, where is it? And what do I need to do? I, I, you know, he, he's all about competition. Congrats to him though. I think it'd be great. Well, you know, Tony, um, how do I say this? I'm, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way at all in any way, shape or form. He's always had kind of a personality that, you know, a, he always surrounds himself with fantastic people. That's number mm-hmm. one. But mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people really realize how intelligent this guy is. I mean, he is smart. I mean, he's very smart. And let me give you a couple of examples. And I want to get into Pete Hamilton here, but I, this is, you know, this is kind of channeling myself here a little bit. So, you know, when Tony was, uh, you know, first in in the IRL, did very well there, obviously. And he probably could have stayed in open wheel racing, but he saw the challenge that NASCAR presented. It was at a time in the sport where there was some transition going on. I mean, you know, uh, Earnhardt was kind of slowly on the decline. Gordon was on the upswing. You know, it was a good time for Tony to get into NASCAR. Okay. So then let's forward, fast forward to about, uh, what was it, 2010, I think it was, or nine, somewhere in that time frame, 2011. There was a little racetrack in Eldora, or in, uh, was it, uh, Rot, was it Ross, Rossburg, Ohio? That's right, Rossburg. Right, Rossburg. Mm-hmm. And a little, a little uh, racetrack called Eldora Speedway. And Tony had spent many, many, many nights racing there, uh, you know, in the, in the sprints and the midgets. And um, Earl, um, what's his last name? Ballas, I think it was, um, you know, was looking to retire, well-deserved retirement. And, he, you know, he didn't know what to do. He wanted to, he needed to find somebody who could buy it. And Tony, like you said, opened his wallet and took a facility that was already good and turned it into a world-class facility in my mind. And to, me, to me, Eldora is the best short track, uh, you know, facility for uh, sprint and midgets around bar none now let's fast forward again to 2021 tony stewart you know obviously has an incredible now new wife but and he saw what leah can do obviously as a as a top fuel uh drag racer but again tony sees an opportunity john force is 72 years old be 73 in may john still fighting the good fight, still doing very well. I think he finished uh, fifth, I think, in the standings this year, won a couple of races, still very competitive. But NHRA knows that John Force is only going to be around for you know so much longer. And then what does NHRA do? Well, here's Tony Stewart looking at an opportunity again, not so much for Tony Stewart, but to really make an impact in another form of motorsports that will, you know, help not only his organization, but also will significantly help NHRA because, you know, if and when John Force retires, which I don't think he'll ever retire, I think, you know, that he's, he's going to go out the way he wants to go out. Um, but I think that John Force, theoretically, you know, if his health continues, he could probably race for another five, six, seven more years. But Tony Mm -hmm. saw that there is a definite need for a new, um, for lack of a better word, leader. I don't know if if that's the right word, but a leader in the sport to really try to take the sport to the next level. There have been a lot of changes within within NHRA personnel-wise. There's been a definite uh, uh, problem for some drivers to continue racing for financial reasons. We've seen a number of drivers start going out and forming their own teams like Antron Brown left there, um, 
Don Schumacher Racing and is now going on out on his own uh, for the 2022 season. And we just heard two weeks ago, Ron Caps is leaving Don Schumacher Racing to form his own team. And rumor has it that he is going to uh, essentially be affiliated with his old Don Schumacher Racing buddy, uh, teammate, uh, Antron Braun as well, too. So the point I'm making it, and I'm being a little long-winded, I apologize. Tony Stewart, when he sees an opportunity, he goes for it. And I think that with A.J. Foyt now, I think A.J. is 86, I think now. Larry Foyt, his son, doing a great job with the team. Don't, don't have any problems there. But I think that they're looking at what's going to be the next step. And I think that that's when Tony is going to make his move and you know, become you know, maybe a 40% owner or, or you know, a minority owner of some type. And mm -hmm. I think that we're going to see Tony involved in IndyCar as an, an owner, I say within the next five years or less. That's my prediction. So, mm -hmm. you know, Tony's got a lot on his plate. And then, he, you know, he, I'm sure he wants to become a father too. So, you know, he's going to get a little bit of a late start on that. But, uh, you know, um, yeah, I, I think. That, not yeah, not according to Kyle Petty. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? Wait, no, wait, Kyle, wait. What? Well, you know, Kyle Petty is uh, 61. And he has a couple of toddlers by his That's second right. marriage. That's right. That's yeah, right. so that's okay. No worries about time, <laughs> age, and all that to be a father. It's okay. He can get a few tips from Kyle on that. So he could go as long as 61 or two and be good there. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And, you know, I've always said Tony would make a great president of NASCAR because, I mean, he's been there. He's done that. He's driven. He's been a team owner. And nobody would make a better president than somebody who has been a competitor mm -hmm. and also been a team owner in, in whatever division of racing that you're trying to run. And yeah, I think Tony would be a great president of, of NASCAR if they're not ever going to ask him to be, but I'm saying if, you know, if there was a magic wand to be waved over someone's head and said, you're the president for the next five days and everything you do will always be, will always stick. <laughs> Well, oh yeah, but you know, you know, seriously, though, you really make a fantastic point here, though. Would Tony Stewart ever consider being the president of NASCAR? And the reason why I, why I say that, you know, let's face it, early on in his NASCAR career, he butted heads with a lot of guys. He butted heads with Mike Helton, with uh, Bill France Jr. Um, you know, there, what was it, uh, 2000 and... Um, after the 2005 season, when he won his second championship, he basically said, uh, I was there. I remember him saying that he was, uh, I may have my year wrong, but I do remember him very clearly saying that he may just walk away from NASCAR. He was so upset with some of the rules and things yeah. like that. He's, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry, Jerry. Another one that would have made a great president of NASCAR, and you might laugh at this, but another one that would have been an excellent president of NASCAR would have been Dale Earnhardt Sr. Yeah. Because he would, he would not put up with any BS. He would, and neither would Tony. Yep. It was like, look, here's the deal. This is what you have to do. If you want the fans back, if you want the competitors to be competitive, if you want it to make sense, if you know, none of the BS, this is what we got to do to make this competitive and make the fans return to the stands and make it fair to everybody across the board. Because those guys had been in the trenches. They have been fighting the rules they had been team owners themselves. And yeah, either one of those two would have been excellent choices. So, uh, I mean, I'm not going to make a prediction, but I mean, if NASCAR ever needed someone to, let's, let's visualize this. He's 49. Let's say that down the road, they at 59 or 60, let's say we're looking for someone to be president of NASCAR. That's the first door I would knock on. Yes. It's Tony's door to say, we need someone to, to make the right decisions to someone that's been there. That's done that, that gets really truly gets what this is all about and can do it in a simplified manner without a lot of red tape that someone who understands where we're going, where we've been and where we're going, Tony Stewart would be the, the guy. If I was on the board of directors and I, and I was asked the question to write down a name on a slip of paper, who would I want? That's, that'd be my vote. But, you know, let me ask you this, Ben. <clears throat> and as you were talking, I was going through my head. Has there ever been, maybe I'm missing this somewhere, 
Has there ever been a president of a major sports league or a commissioner that was a star former athlete? I'm drawing a blank. Uh, no, I, I, I don't know because I don't know. I don't have a huge knowledge of other sports. Well, I mean, that, okay, so, so NFL, we had Pete Rozelle, we had Tagliabue, we had, um, uh, what's his name, um, Roger Goodell now. So yeah. there's a no there. The NBA, we had David Stern for years. We had Adam Silver, so there's a no there. Uh, NHL, we've had Gary Bettman for the last, what, 20 years or whatever it's been, so there's no there. Um, and then Major League Baseball, uh, we had uh, Bart Giamatti. We've had um, Peter Ubaroth. We have not had a star athlete ever go on to become a president or commissioner. This could set a precedent here. Now, saying that though, one of the reasons I think why we haven't seen a star athlete is because a lot of team owners who have to agree on whoever would become the president or commissioner or whatever the title is, um, wouldn't want to see their power taken away by a former athlete, especially uh, if an athlete had a grudge against that owner or that kind of thing. But yeah. it, you know, if, if Tony was brought in as the president of NASCAR at some point, let's say, like you're saying 10 years from now, I actually would love to see it in five years, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. Um, but I mean, A, he brings charisma. B, he brings legitimacy. C, he brings context. D, he brings the knowledge of how to, you know, the media promotion. I mean, the guy is the king of promoting, you know, between not only for NASCAR, but also all the other things he's involved with, all the teams he has, the racetrack, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the, the now the NHRA team and potentially maybe in an IndyCar team at some point too. So, right. I mean, I think the guy's a natural for this. I mean, I'm going to start campaigning for him. The heck with putting up a sign for Biden or Trump. I'm going to say yeah. Tony Stewart for president, you know? Well, he might, he might actually throw mud pies at you for that. <laughs> I don't know. But now if you really want to get technical about it, Bill France Sr., back in 1947, 48, before he formed NASCAR, was a driver. Right. I mean, he actually drove races while he promoted races. So technically, he was a driver that turned into the president and CEO of NASCAR, if you really want to get technical. Well, yeah, but let's, so all, he let's, was, get, yeah, but let's get technical the other way. What was NASCAR really way, you know, back then? It was nowhere near what it is now. No, That's no. I mean, it was a bunch of guys who taped up headlights and, and, uh, you know, strapped their doors shut with the belts from around their waist. Right. They they plowed up a, a cornfield or a cow pasture and they raced. Okay. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, I realize there's a bazillion miles between where they were and where they are now. Right. But, right. I mean, technically, that it was that was their first president was a former racer. So, he wouldn't technically be the first one to do it. But yeah, the, the, the argument is that Tony would say no more BS, no more sugar-coated, I mean, no more crazy stuff. I mean, this is what we need. No to more do. politics. No more politics. <laughs> no more politics. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, it, it's just something to think about down the road. Right, right. But I, I think that, you know, Tony, with everything that he's accomplished in, in his life, he's got so much more that he can give and so much more that he can bring. And, you know, we've seen what he can do so much with, you know, um, Stuart Haas racing, um, you know, with Eldora Speedway, you know, uh, what he's going to do with Leah and the, her top fuel team. And he's also, right. let's not forget that, you know, he also has um, the funny car team, you know, that's going to be uh, in conjunction with Leah. Um, and I just see that, he is so smart that when he sees opportunities, he does seize them. He sees them and he seizes them. If you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh well, yeah, for sure. We'll see what happens though. All right. Let's get back to the final segment of the show. And uh, sorry if we've been a little bit long winded today, but this is going to be an interesting segment because this one is going to hit really close to home for me. But um, Ben, you know, we, we like to do the, a weekly uh, driver of the week. And mm -hmm. you touched on him a little bit earlier. Uh, that driver of the week is the late Pete Hamilton. And, uh, you know, a, a, a good driver, not a great driver, didn't have really a long 
career in NASCAR by NASCAR standards, but did make an impact. Tell me your thoughts about Pete. Yeah, well, you know, talking about Pete Hamilton, I, I was looking at his statistics uh, and and really not bad at all. 64 career uh, Cup Series starts. Back in his day, it was called the NASCAR Grand National Series. Uh, so si over six seasons, uh, 64 starts. He had four victories, like we talked about before, all driving. Well, he actually drove for the Petties, a team owner named Banjo Matthews, and also Cotton Owens mm -hmm. uh, were the ones that he won races with. Or not won races with, but those are the prominent cars, I want to say it that way. 26 top fives, 33 top tens, and three pole positions. And all those came in those 64 starts. So that's not really, that's not bad at all. He was from uh, Dedham, Maine, which is right outside of Boston. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, and he actually got the ride with the Petties because the folks at Chrysler that were backing the Petties said, hey, this guy's really got some talent. And he came from a racetrack uh, called Norwood Arena Speedway. He started in the street division up there in 1962, up around Boston, and just continued to do well. In 67, he won the NASCAR National Sportsman Division Championship and, again, continued to do well. And uh, when in 1969, he competed in NASCAR's Grand American Division, and if you think back in 1969, also those are the cars that, when they had the PDA, the Driver uh, Professional Drivers Association at Talladega, mm -hmm. had the tire issues, the Grand National Drivers boycotted the Bill France Senior, who formed NASCAR, put the Grand American cars in that uh, starting field to to complete the field for that particular race. Uh, but anyway, those uh, cars, he ran, he won 12 or 26 races in 1969. So he attracted the Chrysler guys uh, in Detroit as one of the up-and-coming drivers. So the Petties said, yes, we'd love to have him start a second car for us. So he drove number 40, and that's what we talked about earlier in the show. And uh, so he won the Daytona 500 in 1970 and won both of the Talladega races in 1970 and also a 50-lap uh, qualifying event at Daytona prior to that 1970 race. Or excuse me, I'm sorry, I misspoke. 1971 is when he won that 50-lap race. Uh, so that's the uh, four that he won. But just a, a really nice gentleman, uh, Pete was, and sadly we lost him on March 21st, 19 or 2017, I'm sorry. And uh, but yeah, he was very successful in business and after he retired from driving in 1973, but just a, a really, really nice gentleman, uh, very good behind the wheel for the six years that he drove in, in the, uh, the Grand National Division or Cup Series today. And uh, a, a brief career, but the time he was on the racetrack in, in NASCAR's Premier Series, he did quite, did quite well. And then he went into business and was very successful. Exactly. You know, I have a, a very personal story about Pete that, um, you know, I've been in this business, like I said, you know, almost 50 years, and I can't think of anything that comes even close to this. And it, this is, this is kind of spooky in a way. Um, Pete, as you said, you know, he passed away in 2017. Uh, March 21st, which ironically enough is my both my wife's and my oldest daughter's birthday. But I interviewed Pete for a story for NASCAR talk back in, it was around, I think, February, I want to say the 16th or 17th of 2017. It was so nice, so understanding. We, we had a lot of laughs, very affable, very, a uh, lot of good one-liners and the story is still online. If you if you do a search on Google uh, between Pete Hamilton, NASCAR talk, and my my name Jerry Bunkowski, I think you'll see. You know, there's a a huge photo of him driving the number forty Superbird car, which I love the car. I mean, the the big front end, the big tail, and you know, all that kind of thing. But this is where it's spooky because Pete, when I called him to you know first to call to set up the, a date and a time to do with an interview. He says, man, he says, I haven't talked to a reporter in I don't know how many years. And I go, and I kind of took that almost like a, a badge of courage, or a badge of honor, rather. 
So we agreed to you know set up the interview, and we did. And uh, like you were saying, Ben, he when he retired in '73, or after the '73 season, he uh, built a industrial park. Uh, I think it was north of Atlanta, if I remember correctly, or south. It was an it was one of the Atlanta suburbs. Mm-hmm. Did very 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 well. He also started building some race chassis, which he still dabbled in a little bit. Um, you know, as he you know got older, um, and split his time between uh, Massachusetts and uh, Georgia, where he, you know, gave his second home. And we, you know, I interviewed him and sadly, literally 34, 35 days after he and I did the interview, he unexpectedly passed away. And I, I could not believe it because, Mm -hmm. you know, the guy just was so full of life. And, you know, we had talked about, I'd asked him, you know, what was some of the things he still had not done? And he said, well, you know, I've done pretty much everything I've wanted to do. And, you know, he still was a big NASCAR fan. He didn't go to the races that much, but he would, you know, watch them on TV. In fact, I remember uh, one story he said, in fact, I, I just noticed I had it here in the story as well, but he told me a story that his wife would uh, always like to complain because uh, she'd say, well, you know, you sit down in the chair, the race starts, you fall asleep. And then you wake up just before the race ends and you see the best part of the race. You know, he said she would always complain about that. And he was, you know, he was, you know, pulling her chain, but it was really funny because she was in the room when he said that. So that was kind of interesting, but um, mm-hmm. just a very affable kind of guy. Um, you know, he, we talked a lot about his time, you know, with the petties and he would, I mean, he was so, um, so um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for. he, he, he just, he loved Richard to death. I mean, I mean, you know, he, he was so complimentary about Richard, you know, both as a teammate and as a, uh, essentially as a boss too, as well. And he, he said that Richard would give him the shirt off his back if he needed it. And he just, you know, he loved the time that he, you know, he had with the organization. Uh, but he just, there was just, was never, there wasn't that many races, unfortunately with the organization, but uh, yeah, he was a good guy. And, and yeah. And you know, another thing real quick, Jerry, uh, Chrysler had come out with something called a kit car. It was a, a little Dodge Dart that they basically had put in a box. And if you wanted to build this car, you could order the car un, unconstructed. And if you, of course, you had to have your welding skills, but you could build a thing, order the car, and you could have it delivered to your shop and you could build it from scratch. But it was all cut out the roll car, the roll bars, the, the chassis, the whole deal. And you could order it from Chrysler. And he helped to design that. Really? And, I didn't know that. Yeah, he sure did. And uh, and so I think it could be ordered out of Petty Enterprises, but he worked through the Chrysler Corporation to design it and mm-hmm. to make sure it was done correctly. And uh, that's kind of how he ended up down in, in the uh, in the South uh, from you know, so he split his time between the South and up in Maine and from where he was from. And, uh, but yeah, Chrysler built that car and you could, it's basically a race car in a box. And I remember Petty would drive some of those on short tracks and dirt on dirt tracks to try to promote it for, for them. When he was not racing in the cup series, he'd do it during the week and then go to the cup series races or grand national races on the weekends. But Pete was highly, responsible for helping to put that together that program together so short track drivers could order the car weld it together and then race it on the weekends you know correct me if i'm wrong but where he moved to in georgia he was not very far from um oh what's the name of the town um where bill elliott's from and we're you know like dahlonega exactly that area in norcross i think is where it was yeah he in he, they hung out uh, a lot, you know, when, you know, when they were in town and um, I never did get a chance to talk to Bill about, about um, Pete, but he, he did talk about him too, as well. And you know, he said, it was just, you know, good old Southern hospi- hospitality. In fact, I, I, I just, it's coming back to me now. I remember he did say something to the effect of, he says, yeah, when I moved down to Georgia, he says, I didn't think they were going to take kindly to the, the Yankee like me. He says, I mean, they, they threw the white door wide open and the welcome mat was thrown out for me. He says, I love these mm-hmm. people down here. I remember that. Very well, you know, I think winning the Daytona 500 and it's such a huge honor among racers yep. to be able yep. to do that. And of course he won at Talladega, like I said, and I mean, he just, I, I think I, I understand the personality that, that Pete had and he was a very, 
easygoing guy. And as you knew, when you talked to him and, um, loved, loved racing, loved NASCAR, loved the people in NASCAR and very easy to talk to. And from what I remember and, you know, very humble about everything he accomplished in the sport and, but very easy to talk to. I remember that about him. Exactly. Well, Ben, you know, as much as I hate to say, we got to put the, uh, the pedal to the metal and cross that checkered flag for the end of episode 40. Again, great uh, talking with you. And yes, you know, sir. We, we kind of, uh, kind of went a little bit longer than we normally do and blame me. Cause I'm the one that had the big mouth today. <laughs> so but, no, no, that's quite right. I always enjoy talking to you, buddy. Well, same here. Always. And you know, I wish you and your family a great, happy Thanksgiving and uh, safe same travels, here. safe travels to Georgia and back. And uh, uh, we'll be doing the same thing next week. And uh, we'll be doing it all through the off season. And, uh, we're going to be, we're trying to get this worked out technically where we're going to start having guests here. I hope, I hope in the next two to three weeks. So uh, when we get our first guest uh, and I've got a, got a pretty good idea of who I really would like to see. And I'm Ben and I are going to talk about that. And, um, but uh, it'll be a, a huge name, a huge name. In fact, I don't know if we can go two hours because we may have to do that because of the person I have in mind. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> but Ben, I know you. I know you'll be very, uh, very pleased uh, to um, to uh, if we can get him. And I, I think we can. So it'll be a fun two hours. I'm yes, sure. exactly, exactly. So yeah. all right. Well, that does it for a lifetime in NASCAR episode number forty. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. He's Ben White. I'm Jerry Bunkowski. You have a great, great, safe Thanksgiving. And we'll catch you right here on A Life in a NASCAR next week. Right here. Take care, everyone. Eric Estep here. This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries. Get it done with green. Forney offers a full line of welding and plasma cutting machines, metalworking accessories, and more. For do-it-yourselfers all the way to professional metalworkers, Forney has everything you need for your next project. Shop Forney's top-of-the-line products at forneyind.com. That's Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, ind, I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you.